Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we missed last week because you had the opportunity to be in Rome and do some really awesome stuff. So why don't we give you the floor here and just tell people about what it is you went over there to accomplish and how it went. Great. Yeah, and happy to uh, entertain any questions that you might have, Joe, that you think would be uh, useful for the listeners too in terms of uh, just drilling down into any of the, the places. But the the reason for the trip was uh, I'm the director of the Institute for Ministry Formation at St. Vincent Seminary, and we decided that we would host courses that we would normally teach, but just host them in Rome. And so we had students come from the United States, uh, and we held the courses at the Benedictine College. So the Benedictines have a kind of central location at Sant'Anselmo, which is on the Aventine in Rome. Um with a number of other, it's one of the hills of Rome. And so we were able to uh, use classrooms there for part of the day, but then also have forays into the city and see some of the churches, pray in some different places, and did a couple of day trips to Subiaco and to Assisi, uh, had a chance to do a Vatican Museum tour, had mass in St. Peter's Basilica, had mass at St. Paul outside the walls, and got some tours of some different places. And and the, the group that, that gathered together, of course, the staff for the Institute for Ministry Formation, uh, my, my employees were there to uh, organize things and also to participate fully in the activities. And then we had about 20 students who also joined us and just really, really lovely people. So I was teaching a course on accompaniment and the people who took the other course really had already taken the course on accompaniment. So everybody was formed in that kind of attentiveness to each other. And it formed a really beautiful community. They're all really mature Christians and, and well-engaged, thoughtful, and, and able to take graduate courses in theology, which is essentially what this is. And uh, just formed a really nice community. Some people I knew uh, some people, it was their first course. And so it was a mixture of kind of new and old in that sense. And then also a mixture of young and old, male and female uh, in the group. And, uh, and just people with different amounts of ministry experience, different places in their lives. And we just had a, yeah, just a, a really wonderful engagement during, uh, during that time. We were in, in Rome for about 11 days, I guess, 10 days with some travel time. And uh, and then I also did a little advance weekend. I have a great love for St. Francis de Sales, and I had an opportunity to stay with some Dominicans not too far from where he spent most of his life in ministry uh, near, he was in Annecy. He was the Bishop of Geneva, although he never lived in his own diocesan see because it was always occupied by the Calvinists. Uh, and so had his chance to to visit some of those holy sites, pray with his uh, at his tomb, basically where his relics are, and in, uh, in Annecy and some of the places where he had prayed and ministered, and I was kind of a little bonus for my uh, own particular edification and formation. So did that up front, but yeah, happy to to drill into any of those things that you uh, would have an interest in, Joe. I can talk pretty much endlessly about any of this stuff, so. I don't want to go on about what's uh, not as much of interest. Yeah, no. So, so I, I think all that's fantastic. There, there's a lot of a lot of greatness that that comes out of that. So, um, first off, to teach a graduate level course in ten days in and of itself is 
impressive um to 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 be that on top of it that you you know it inside and out is it, it is amazing um so so I apologize if I'm going to use the wrong a word but I believe you said it was a tumult was was what you were teaching accompaniment right? accompaniment yeah. so I get that I'm not a grad student um, what does that mean yeah well, and don't be intimidated by graduate or not graduate. It just uh, is expect, you know, the expectation is that people have a college degree. And so they're able to, you know, get into a little bit more substantial material, I suppose, without having to do too much handholding. Um, yeah, accompaniment is, uh, it's really my life. So it's the kind of core competency for spiritual direction is, is how to uh, understand interiority, how to listen to people in a way that fosters vulnerability, how to create a secure environment in which uh, a directee, uh, uh, a person can share their heart and, and be received. And so creating that kind of space and understanding the dynamics of that is the, is the main thing. And like I said, that's really the, the heart of what I do every day. I'm uh, a spiritual director, director of spiritual formation for the seminary. And that's kind of our flagship program, and that's our central course is uh, a course on, uh, we call it SD1, Spiritual Direction 1. And mm. then uh, the title, the subtitle is The Art of Accompaniment. And that's quoting from a phrase of Pope Francis in his first document, The Joy of the Gospel. He said that the entire church needs to be initiated into the art of accompaniment. And so I've kind of taken that seriously. And as you said, to teach it in 10 days and to know it inside and out, i that was the 14th time I've taught the course. Uh, and then <laughs> I taught it right again when I got back at the Theology of the Body Institute for the 15th time. So I do, and I keep developing the material. I keep learning new things. And some of the things we've talked about in terms of uh, trauma and trauma responses and what that looks like and how to create safe environments. Uh, attunement is one of the things that we do to uh, help to connect with uh, the heart of a person. You know, the uh, I like to talk about it in terms of the nervous system. It, it uh, describes well the sort of reactions that we have when we're in an environment that triggers us and uh, something threatens us. Our nervous system reacts before our brain does, you could say, and and then some of these trauma responses come out. And, and as a reminder to our listeners, you know, trauma is not just seeing your friend get shot in Vietnam. Trauma is, is any uh, experience of, of pain that goes unwitnessed, that, that is, uh, we don't know how to integrate. And so, especially when we experience things as a child, and sometimes not even the trauma of something being done to us, but sometimes the, the trauma of neglect, things not being done to us, that we have a a reasonable expectation for not being loved, not being heard, not being responded to, not being cared for in ways that uh, we really have a need, a genuine need as human beings and, and a right to expect that that would happen. But those things can cause uh, trauma and trauma responses that um, that's not the, the, the heart of the course, I guess I would say, but that's the kind mm -hmm. of dynamic that can make it challenging if you don't understand what's going on there. So I I do teach uh, attunement and trauma-informed approaches to listening and caring for individuals as a part of that art of accompaniment. How do you come alongside someone and help them to tell their story? How do you help them to uh, get into the interior places, the, the feelings and interpretations, and then the spiritual dimension of their life? 
and uh, do that in a way that that helps them to to bring that more fully into relationship with God. So that's the the really the essence of that course. And, and you go through that. It's great skill set to have um, for all elements of life. You know, you to to really get in the ability to relate to people to be able to 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 know. I mean, really, how to it, 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 unless I'm missing something, it's a much deeper format of communicating. You know, like I think of like the communications class I had to take when I was in business school, basically boiled down to making a lawyer happy so you don't get sued bigger and have a worse problem. You know, it doesn't get into any of these actual human relationship things that that, that are hu- huge and meaningful. And one other thing that, that I thought of as you were telling the story, maybe it's from more of the, the, the you as a person than as your, your teaching side. And I think this will go along with what you were just saying there as far as being connected is that part of a group matters and being more specific than just a Catholic, being a monk that has the same system and the same process, I'm assuming everywhere in the world um, has to be an element of great comfort on the one hand, but on the other hand has to be absolutely horrible for jet lag to wake up and, and hit those morning that that morning prayer whenever your body is six hours off but um i i wanted to bring that up because i think that there's so much value in the routine but routine with others and, and, and to look at that and the importance of it and how you have it in your life professionally and personally um, and, and how there's a need for it in all of us, and how it goes into some of that stuff you just said earlier about the, about being unwitnessed with our problems. Yeah, well, it's it is interesting. So I, for me personally, I I really have not suffered from jet lag. I I sort of just go to bed at the right time and wake up at the right time and move on with my life. <laughs> so yeah, it's helpful. Um, but. Uh, you're so right. I mean, having having a routine, everybody does to a certain degree, but it's it's much more um, uh, principle driven um, in in my context. So when I when I get there, and we would have mass every morning at eight, basically a couple of exceptions when we had masses in different places, but that set a nice routine. Lunch because we were eating. We we joined the Benedictines for lunch, and so lunch was at one every day. Again, sets a nice routine. We had class from three to six. Uh, it was sweltering hot in Rome. They had some record temperatures, um, but the classroom was air conditioned. So oh, nice. the rest of the monastery was not, and uh, Rome, of course, was not uh, in the streets or whatever. But uh, anyway, the, uh, the the afternoon class was was quite a benefit. But to eat at one, have a little break, uh, and the, the culture of a siesta is still very strong in Italy, and just a nap for a half an hour or whatever, and, and then have uh, several hours of class in a nicely air-conditioned classroom, and then evening prayer at 7.15 and Vesper, uh, uh, Vespers is evening prayer, and then dinner following at about 7.30, 7.35, uh, which is a different kind of schedule than we're used to, but it's quite nice. Um, so just to have that structure around the day. And then for me personally, I get up, of course, around six and uh, pray the, the divine office, morning prayer, office of readings, uh, make a holy hour. I often uh, incorporate a little preparation of a homily. I just pray with the gospel for the day and then have mass at eight with our folks. And 
And then to kind of schedule things around that. So we would generally go out in the mornings, 9.15, 9.30, head out and plan three hours of walking around, praying in churches, seeing things, and, and then get back in time for lunch and uh, then have a little decompression, time for class. Um, yeah, that routine works so nicely. And so it's a routine that in- involves some personal time, uh, also around prayer, some preparation for class personal time, some structured communal time, uh, chances to share over meals was really nice with, uh, with the other monks, uh, for me especially, and then also with our group. And, uh, and then, you know, a little bit of uh, kind of chance for small groups to get together. People went out for gelato in the evenings and uh, had, had some personal time together, just shared some stories, things like that. It, it makes a huge difference. And uh, especially when you're there, you know, 10 days is a nice day to settle into a little bit of a routine and have some expectations about how the next day will go. And uh, so, yeah, just lovely to be able to uh, tr- translate that into a foreign country, into an otherwise chaotic situation where you're not speaking the languages, people are, people are behaving in different ways than you'd expect, the, you know, if they're not familiar territory. And, and uh, but then to have a, a regular routine was uh, real grounding. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that that's another part of it is, is that while you were obviously an, an American there and a Benedictine monk, um, you were bringing in people from all over. So not just from the St. Vincent area, but from all over the, the country that I'm assuming internationally English speaking people as well um, to, to just have that kind of melting pot within being in a different land of a melting pot has to be something that is usually very difficult to do. You know, it, when, when you see, you know, communities try to establish like immigrant communities, it can be very difficult and they just kind of grasp to what they've known from before. It can be very isolating and an insulating environment simultaneously to, 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 to just keep their own ways and not let out. And I think in a lot of ways, this is a testament to the universality of the faith and that you didn't have that barrier. And the fact that you were able to go out, you were able to, to a welcome many people in, but then go out into the community without feeling these pressures or barriers because essentially of the faith. And I, I think that that's, that's a tremendous thing that we take for granted, but I think it's, it's so important to look at every once in a while. Yeah, no, you're, you're so right. It, at several levels. So just within our own group, as you said, there was uh, quite a mixture from uh, around the country. We had made some invitations to other English-speaking non-American nations. We did have a Canadian with us, uh, but otherwise uh, some of my forays into England and Ireland didn't, didn't bear out. But, um, but we had people from all over the U.S., united by uh, Catholic faith and really sincere Catholic faith. So not just sort of nominally Catholic, but really invested in Catholic culture. Mm-hmm. And so some different, you know, a little bit different Catholic cultures. It wasn't, uh, you know, when I say that, it's like people who are involved in, you know, focus or people who are involved in encounter or people who are involved in, you know, maybe charismatic things or traditionalist things. Sometimes there's a more established culture around certain activities and uh, language, ideals, principles. Um, we had a bit of a variety in that way, which was, which was nice. But our kind of centerpiece was accompaniment, uh, since that was a, a language some were being formed in, others had already been informed in. 
uh, been formed in. And so within our group, uh, the sincere faith and, and uh, you know, especially accompaniment was a real unifying factor. And then, as you say, uh, going into Italy, of course, Rome in particular is just saturated with Catholicism. Um, and, and Italy more broadly is really saturated with Catholicism. And so those streams go so deep in, uh, in uh, the Roman and Italian culture. And so that made everything feel very familiar as well, that, that uh, even though there are different expressions of it, it's not that everybody is uh, super engaged in their faith, but it's, there's, a, there's a respect and it's, it's uh, really just taken for granted that um, things that we hold a value as Catholics are generally valuable, things that we um, have priorities around in terms of care for the human person or prayer or different imagery or you know, just all of that is, is uh, all throughout. So it really does make it feel comfortable, even though it certainly is a f- totally foreign language and uh, there are a lot of foreign elements to the culture. And um, But the universality of our faith gives us uh, a lot of common ground with people. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry about that. And we look at how valuable that is, you know, where kind of connecting all the elements here, being alone and unwitnessed in our, in our pain is a big problem, but to have this great ultimate gift of the faith to be able to unify us is something that's massive. And it gets me to obviously bringing this in, into America here Something that the challenge I think a lot of us have is the comfort in recognizing those similarities in each other, because I think so much of the way it is perceived or maybe taught correctly or incorrectly is that the faith basically tells me what I've been doing wrong. Um, you know, like, like I should have done this and then the element of Catholic shame comes up. Uh, uh, I feel all this bad, this and the other, because, because, I did something wrong when I was younger. And when we look at it and say that might be true, but really what the, the growth is, is the fact that we're all going through this together to betterment ourselves and to rely upon the fact that we are having a community of faith. And, and I wanted to hit upon that as far as the broader element as being a member of the faith and yes, there's a calling to, to be, improve yourself so that you do need to know you did something wrong. And internally shame is normally the byproduct of that, but that's not a reason to hide your faith. So I, I think you understand the notion of what I'm trying to discuss here. And that's certainly something that you and I have focused uh, quite a bit of attention on. I mean, to reduce the faith to morality is about the most gross reduction that uh that one could do it's just the the morality is third hand uh the coming to know how we have been loved by christ and the spontaneous desire to respond to that and then the question around how i can respond to that best is the only way to situate morality in terms of uh our our catholic faith in terms of our religion so uh it it is uh such an important corrective to see and you know that's why uh, it's not morality that inspired the Sistine Chapel. You know, it's not morality that inspired the St. Peter's Basilica. It's not morality that inspired the, the, the streets and villages and, and culture and, 
you know, the relationships, communities in, in Rome, uh, they're not inspired by morality. They're inspired by transcendence in love and uh, an, an experience of the glory of God that uh, obviously also moves us into places of morality, but as a secondary factor. And so, um, you know, the shame, like you said, can we, we can end up using that. And those are all the worst things, you know, not to say that there uh, aren't people who try to use shame and morality to control others. It's really a corruption of the faith and a manipulation, a kind of religious abuse, to be totally honest. Um, and, and that certainly has happened and in various settings and people have been very hurt by that. But yeah, an encounter with Christ is what uh, sets all of our gifts free and then moves us to uh, respond by loving others as he has loved us. Yeah, and, and obviously with that is an acknowledgement that that we're not perfect. And then that the, the you know, life is is the journey is, is is what we get measured on. And Father, while you were in Rome, I actually had this thought dawn upon me. And since it just kind of set itself up here, I'm going to present it. Um, you know, obviously, when we look at the amount of saints that have been canonized, they're all different ages. And to me, I had kind of a thought process, which seems logical to me, is if they're all different ages, to me, the journey of their lives is much more important than the end destination. Because if it was just about how far you got or a checklist of things you accomplished, like building the biggest resume, you wouldn't have a chance if you were young. You'd have to make it through a certain age group to just say, I kicked all the boxes or whatever. And I think that that part of life, assuming that thought is correct, which I kind of think it has to be, um, but that part of life, I think it's so lost in a results-based mindset that most of us are forced to be in from the time of probably before kindergarten, but definitely once we're in school and we start giving grades, you know, you, you got this, you, you were this, this is your results. Um, and, and we're brought up that through life and it never goes away. So I, I, I wanted to, to put a, a, a point on this in this context of the process more so than the results is kind of what we need to focus on. Um. Yes and no. So uh, okay. the thing that you're actually pushing against is not a matter of results so much as reducing results to achievements or accomplishments, or uh, it's based on the measure. So the measure is love. So the perfection of love is what makes holiness. So that is a result, the perfection okay. of love. And when we canonize a 16-year-old and we visited Blessed Carlo Acutis, who was a 16-year-old, um, it's because he was perfected in love by age 16. So that is a, a comp that is a result, but it's not, as you said, a matter of resume kinds of results, uh, certain kinds of achievements, accomplishments. That's not the measure. Those are an overflow, sort of like the morality. Those are an overflow of the perfection of love. But what we see in the diversity of ages, states of life, cultures, um, contexts, is that Love can be perfected at any age in any context. Uh, now, the, the reason that you're also, I said yes and no about process rather than uh, destination, 
because love is always dynamic. You don't sort mm-hmm. of like arrive at perfection of love. Um, but we have to cross a certain threshold in which we can exercise love in a, in a heroic way. And that's uh, what's the mark of sanctity. But um, that can be done in any state of life. Carlo Acutis, a, a teenager who got excited about sharing the Eucharist and built a website back when that was uh, quite new on Eucharistic miracles and uh, just lived out his love for the Lord in this very intense way. And so did he accomplish as much as Francis Xavier, who missionized the entire Far East? Well, no, not by that measure. But did he love as intensely as Francis Xavier? Yes, he did. And that's why he's a saint. And so that's where we're challenged, whether married, young, old, priest, religious, we can love intensely. We can be perfected in love. And that's really the measure of holiness, of sanctity. Yeah, so sorry for if that put a little turn on the episode there, but but I, I think that it was a thought that came in my head, and in general, when I share those, people tend to like those. So we, we do thank everyone for being with us here this week, and, and we'll be with you here again next week.